Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Clean and protect your firearms with Riptide Armory. Riptide, a veteran-founded business. It's dedicated to producing American-made cleaning chemicals and also dedicated to creating American jobs. And that commitment is embodied in every product that's bottled, labeled, and shipped from their Arvada, Colorado facility. Safe for all firearm types and surfaces. Embrace the power of American ingenuity and protect your firearms with the best. Visit RiptideArmory.com. What's the best way to fish like a local? What if you could book a trip with an experienced local guide with the click of a button? Now you can with Fishing Booker. Now anyone can access enjoyable fishing experiences anywhere. Take the legwork out of setting up that trip and explore more than 30,000 fishing experiences at your fingertips. Just go to fishingbooker.com to get started and book your trip with a local guide. That's fishingbooker.com. Fishing Booker. Fish like a local. Hey, I'm Tyler. And I'm Casey. And you're listening to The Element Podcast. Okay, guys, today we are doing a Q&A session. We just kind of came up with this last second. I'm in Austin, Texas right now, and KC is actually back home. Uh, what's weird is it's um, usually sunshiny in Austin, but it's raining, and it's been raining at home like crazy, but it's sunshiny there, I believe, right? That is correct. It's a uh, nice day outside, kind of bordering on hot. You can definitely feel that um, summer pushing in. Yep. It's weird how spring is so short where we live, but... <laughs> the vegetables are liking it, so it's all it's uh that's what matters right now. It's good, you know, man. Antlers are growing. Yeah, antlers are growing, tomatoes are growing, it's all good, man. I think uh, you know, I'm down here right now actually. Uh my wife is a coach here at our local school and the girls are in the state softball tournament. They're actually playing in the state game, uh, which has been postponed, so you and I are doing this, but uh the rain has postponed the game, but they're they have made it to the state game so we're, we're we're rooting for them hopefully tonight that'll happen but let's uh, go lady cat that's right uh in the meantime last night i went and spent all of my money at daidu a because <laughs> <laughs> it was so good it was literally one of the best meals I've ever had you know we had jesse griffiths on the podcast last uh last week i believe it was and um we you know we're down here in austin for the state tournament and we're like oh yeah we're going so i took uh, a couple of friends of ours and our kids and everything and went to die and jesse had just come back from port o'connor and was able to scrounge up enough blue crabs that he fried us up a soft shell or two and gave us this i mean the dish was incredible dude it had this like uh rumelade or however you say that rumelade uh sauce yeah. and and um like these mint leaves on it which you wouldn't think would go good with fried soft shell but it was like heaven dude it was so yeah. good we had neil it guy sounds real good we had uh they had uh 
the people that were with us had a Wagyu steak. We had, um, I actually had black drum for the first time. It was uh, just great, you know. I mean, as far as you know, actually. Well, that's true. <laughs> Who knows what this is? A lot of times when you eat seafood uh, at the, at especially in Texas, a lot of times it's black drum because they do so well with aquaculture. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah, that was the first time I know of that I had black drum rice. Yep. So, but, uh, <laughs> a fresh dude, one. It was, right? oh, it was so good, dude. And, like, you know, obviously yeah. everything that Jesse does, he's tested it several times to the point that it's just amazing, you know, and they, they've yeah. got it down and, and well, it was crazy good. Test. That means Jesse eats it himself. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> well, so I just actually saw where he posted on Instagram just a second or just a little bit ago that uh, there's this mound of blue crabs that he had uh, he had uh, boiled up, I guess, for his dinner tonight. So I was like, dang, man, nice. he, he literally gave me one of his soft shells, you know, like he did, this wasn't something they were going to put in the in the shop, you know, so pretty cool yeah. deal man um that's cool super yeah. appreciative of what what he did for us man and big time awesome surprise the people we were with enjoyed it just i mean they loved it so really cool um but now we are trying to burn through these q a question or these questions uh with some of our answers i guess um and we thought it would be a good idea just to uh since we're kind of apart to do this kind of format and threw it together today and a bunch of people had questions so we're going to start throwing them out there and answering them um i guess unless you have something you wanted to talk about no nah, man that sounds great i would rather just do this q a stuff as opposed to talk about me <laughs> good man because there's some <laughs> there's some really good questions man that i've said several yeah. times to you already i'm excited to answer so um with that I'm gonna I'm gonna go through some on my end. You've got some on your end. We'll both try to answer if we both have an answer, and if we don't, we'll move on. Uh, we're gonna try to get through these all, um, everyone that we've seen. And if you have if you have more, we'll try to throw some of those into the next episode, maybe or something like that. Some at some point. So, thank you for these. Um, I guess the first one I kind of want to talk about here is from Luke MCD44 on Instagram. He said, first time in the hill country." How do you figure – and this, these are kind of paraphrased, guys, and I'm kind of you know, trying to formulate the questions and maybe take what you're saying and, and make it into a question sometimes. Uh, but I asked kind of what are the most confusing things about deer hunting or some of the things that you'd like us to answer questions about. And who knows if we're going to help or not. We're going to try. Um, so Luke says, first time into the hill country, how do you figure wind strategy? You got any thoughts about that, Casey? Um. I'm assuming he's talking about kind of the Midwestern mm -hmm. type hill country. I would too. Uh, but it probably applies to both, uh, you know, because Texas has a region called the hill country, which you're in right now. You're on mm -hmm. the eastern border of it where yep. it starts. Uh, but it's going to kind of be the same. You know, it's going to have ridges and fingers and all that stuff. Um, in general, I think I'm going to talk about thermals a little bit. And then you actually have more experience hunting hill country than I do. So I think you'll be a better answer. But uh, this is something that hunting elk really helped me with because it's the same concept. You just need to keep in mind that uh, on still or, you know, not heavy wind days where you have, uh, you know, maybe an aggressive northwestern wind or something, that in the mornings it will rise and in the evening it will fall once the sun starts to get low. So it's, a, it's just the natural cycle of heating and cooling, where when things heat up, they rise, and whenever they cool down, they go down. So you just need to make sure and position yourself according to where you think deer are or are going to be or where your shots are going to be, 
and according with that daily cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's kind of the the main thing to keep in mind. I think, like you said, and I think that um, for me, there are there are guys that are way more experienced in hunting the hill country than we are, or hill hill type country. And so, I mean, probably getting some information from those guys is good. Now, not everybody out there actually knows what they're talking about but you know if there's several people saying the same thing that are reliable and have killed deer in that type of habitat then you could probably take it to the bank but i would say i would say like i hunted a big big ridge in iowa um in 2019 actually and had a deer come all the way to five yards that i was trying to shoot had camera issues you can watch that video um, on our season playlist it's actually i think the video before i killed a deer in iowa so if you go back and you see that video the one I shot last year, then you can look at the one before that. And that deer was on a big, big ridge. And so like kind of the advice that I got that seemed a lot more practical and easy was just to get on top of the ridge because deer, you know, they talk about these like, you know, bedding on the top third, traveling the top third, and I'm sure it happens. But even on some pretty decent sized ridges, like, you know, you can call deer up to you or get shot still to some of that downridge stuff, you know, like if you're above them. So I think like being kind of on the top of the ridge, um, a lot of times you can just let the wind just blow, you know, straight, straight from whatever side, you know, I was kind of on the side where I'm blowing, like I'm basically on top, but I'm kind of on the wind, the the side that the wind is coming from. So just letting it blow, um, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of just, it gives you a good stable wind if you've got a wind a lot of times and people talk about wind tunnels and stuff like this and i would say just to uh just to try to figure out what you can and obviously carry some milkweed with you and test it when you get in there and that'll help you a lot probably Mm -hmm. so anything else to add to that or you want to move on uh i would just i'm not trying to be nitpicky or anything but something i have noticed is that if you have like a say you're hunting down in the bottom or you're hunting on the on the side of a ridge right up top and you have a wind that is flowing <laughs> parallel or down your ridge or valley okay mm-hmm. and that wind whenever the ridge or valley is going to take a slight turn will actually follow that turn so keep that in mind as well if you're banking on northeast wind and your valley runs <clears> north <throat> and south then you're you're probably still going to have a straight north and south okay in, in that particular place that's a, a, a only thing that comes to mind it's it's kind of a it's a friction type thing with the way that you know wind currents move or mm-hmm. whatever but it's yep. just a little thought pretty much just check the milkweed like you said and then you'll you're in good shape yeah yeah if you can throw a f- uh, several milkweeds out and they all go to do the same thing you know, you yeah. can bank on that. But another thing to think about real quick, I hate to keep going on this because we've got a ton of questions, but um, if, you, if you're if you hunting at evening, you're likely to see that the wind dies in the, during the best time of mm-hmm. the, the evening, so when the deer are going to be moving the most probably. So just keep in mind that your thermals also have to work for you in that situation. So <clears throat> mm-hmm. anyway. Well, i got a shorter one for okay. you. Tyler, what release do you shoot? I've shot a Cobra for like 15 years. Um, yeah. I shoot the dual caliper. Um, I'm not saying I wouldn't shoot the other one because I think what you do with yours is it makes a lot of sense. Like it's so just practical and logical. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, that's what I shoot as a Cobra. And 
Uh, I like their ownership with Jake Major. He's been on the podcast before. Super good dude. Uh, high energy engineering type just really digs into this stuff and like i said i, I shot a i shot one single release for like a dozen years and had no issues you so. did it rusted and everything it still <laughs> worked like a champ yeah yeah <laughs> yeah what i shoot you? over as well it's uh the hook style i can't i think it's called the moment i can't really remember for sure but it's a uh, it's uh, a hook it's like kind of like a rhino horn or a turkey spur there but, you go. Uh, it just makes it where you don't have to look down at your leaf all the time. Yeah, so real nice. Yeah. Um, what uh, What else you got? Um, what about entry and exit access? Like, what are the things you consider when you're looking at your your accesses and your exit? Man, wind is the top thing. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm looking at something, like I've been scouting for South Dakota on the map, right, and uh, the first thing I do when I look at a whole property is I think about, well, where's the habitat that I'm trying to hunt? And then the next thing is what is the wind going to do and how am I going to get in there and everything else? I, 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 I truly feel like there's wind and everything else when mm-hmm. it comes to access, but wind yep. is the top thing you got to keep in mind. You cannot blow your wind on deer for an extended period of time and expect them to do what they were normally going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, I mean, pretty much nailed it like you gotta your wind has to line up for you to uh be able to access without the deer knowing you're accessing and then also hunt it Mm -hmm. for an hour and a half before deer comes out to you or whatever so yeah that's the main Mm -hmm. things i mean obviously there's you know you got to make sure that there's not a big creek or something or a river that you got to cross so you got to mm-hmm. make sure like kind of when you look into access don't just go oh yeah the wind's got to be this make sure you kind of like look at your route in detail to make sure you don't have to pass an irrigation like i've looked at a lot of stuff that all of a sudden i'll notice there's an irrigation canal i'm like golly that was going to be perfect but i can't get through that irrigation canal i don't think if it's especially if it's been yeah. raining so yeah exactly another thing that uh, I think that you and I have been trying to learn the past few years that we used to be real sloppy about is exits at nighttime. Mm-hmm. Like, so we're going in for an evening hunt. I have been real guilty of like, as soon as I climb down on the stand, just not caring about stealth at all and just rolling out. Well, mm-hmm. that's a real good way to blow out a place in just a day or two, mm-hmm. you know, but I think if you're careful about your exits and you're stealthy, even in the dark, trying to get out of a place, um, as well as, you know, the the common sense thing whenever it's daylight and you're going in mm-hmm. i think that you can you can really preserve a place for a little more time at least if it's a situation where you're you know hunting uh some specific deer that are living in the area yeah i used to i used to be way better at the, about that when i hunted private um a lot oh, yeah. because i was <laughs> like you know you get down and you're like man i know there's like three bucks in here that are just giants and like i've got to mm-hmm. get out of here quick plus you're not tearing down every time you know and so yeah. You just kind of, sometimes you, like you, you go in and you hunt public and it's a bad day and you didn't see anything and you feel like, man, there ain't a deer within a mile of me right now, you know? And so you just take your times breaking down. You're kind of loud. You talk a little bit to your buddy or whatever it might be, or you're care- not careful with the sticks and who knows, man, like maybe that's the reason you're having bad hunts back to back to back, you know? So, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, we've seen places wear out quickly, you know, especially on Texas public when you're an area where there's might not be a ton of deer and they're pretty concentrated on a specific habitat or food source mm-hmm. you know it's, a, it's a definitely a thing that happens yeah um i think that whenever you're talking about uh access stuff you probably need to talk about creative access a little bit i know it's kind of a twist to the question but that's something you and i've been talking about quite a bit for some of our october hunts that we have coming up 
um, about making sure that we have everything it takes to get into a place or maybe do something creative that other people don't do, whether it's, you know, waiters or boats or things like that. And I think that that's, that's definitely a tactic that's out there. It's not, if you're like, Oh wow, I've never thought about using a boat. You know, you probably just haven't listened to a lot of podcasts, (laughs) but it's still something to be said, you know, like there's, there's people who have success doing it. I think you and I are going to do it probably far and near this Mm -hmm. fall. We've talked about it in a couple of different places, you know, there's a place that, we scouted out that looks bad at the bone on Texas public this year that, uh, we walked in, uh, but I know that you're busting through some habitat to walk in. Mm-hmm. But if, if you happen to figure out a way to use some type of aquatic access to this place, mm-hmm. then, uh, man, it's going to be stealth city, Texas up in there. You're talking about like a straw and a wetsuit. Yeah. I think something like that. You, you ever watched Robin hood with him and little John had them little, uh, um, pieces of bamboo they were breathing yes through, that's you know what exactly about? what i'm thinking yeah yeah so hey your, your buddy dudley phelps wants to know why he prefers punishing himself on public versus private man dudley some people are just into weird stuff man <laughs> I, can't, <laughs> I can't tell you <laughs> oh, that was a question oh, he posed. It gets addicting. i mean you know um you're you don't want to be a public land snob at the same time. There's a fun aspect to it for sure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's good aspects to both of them. I think, I think, uh, you know, just kind of giving yourself a new, uh, change of scene is, is a reason why you would punish yourself sometimes, you know, it's just like, man, mm-hmm. try to get a look at a new piece of woods. You know, you can't really do that yeah. on private cause there's only so much access to be had, you know, sometimes. Yeah. So. And to, yeah. And to make that more tactical, um, new experiences means new knowledge learned, mm-hmm. you know, and if, uh, you and I talk about this all the time, but you know, once you red pill and don't like sitting in a box, the same box blind day in and day out, waiting on a deer to come out, like, um, th- that get, that's hard to do once you realize you can go out and, you know, make your own way and make things happen yourself like yeah. you can on, on public land. And sometimes you can't make things happen yourself and that's part of it too. Right. Yeah. But, uh, I think that's that's part of the deal is, and some guys. I'm not this guy at all. I wish there was no one else out there except for me. Uh, but <laughs> don't take it the wrong way. I'm not saying I wish there were less hunters, but you know, as far as like a in in scenario situation, I don't get any kicks or giggles out of the competition with other people yeah. in the woods. You know what I mean? That's that's not me at all. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, uh, but I don't care about that. But some people like that aspect of going out in doing the deal where anybody could hunt this land, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And, and, uh, and it's cool that you can make it, if you can make it happen in that situation and think about that, that's, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way I am too, man. I'm, I mean, I would prefer, um, not that I want less hunters in the woods, same thing, but like, I would prefer that when I go into the woods, sometimes I feel like I'm the only guy within 15 miles, you know, it's like, Oh, that feels real good. That's just like, <laughs> man, that is a good feeling. You're just like, man, this yeah. is where, big deer live because nobody's around and this is just fun and i don't have to hear 18 wheelers going by and stuff you know it's it's a good feeling yeah. but um yeah that's cool so what a, um the bow brands matter tyler uh that's a that's a big question but i i mean i know what you're trying to get to and i would say not mm-hmm. too much man like um, yeah. These days, bows that the new bows that are coming out are getting better in smaller increments than they ever have. Um, so, I think that uh, everybody's starting to—not everybody, but most—you know—if you know of a pretty reputable brand that 
people will talk about and like and has sold, you know, thousands of bows, um, they probably are making a bow that you can kill a deer with pretty well as 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 well as the other ones just about within 30 yards mm-hmm. or so you know what i mean i think you mentioned that earlier when we were talking about this but um i think there are a couple of companies that are trying to innovate a little bit uh, and do some different things uh help the consumer to do a little more of their bow teching and stuff like that but you know all in all like i would be proud um to shoot several different kinds of bows um if i had one so Right now, yeah. I'm just shooting old Matthews from about ten years ago. So, what about what do you think? <laughs> yeah, in, um, I think that in the 2000s it mattered some. Yeah, and uh, I really could see that back then when I was looking at bows and stuff. But now, I mean, everybody gets the technology, and it, until something new happens, and I don't see how it can, but I'm not an engineer. Like everything's kind of on pace you know mm-hmm. like everything's pretty much there so if you're like you were saying if you're shooting a brand that exists pretty much and isn't something that you know jimmy don made in the warehouse down the street it's going to probably do the job now there are going to be bows that can you know group better or tune better out you know with broadhead to 80 yards and that's a different thing um but if you're trying to shoot a deer at 25 yards you know, I, I made this claim to you earlier, but I kind of feel like I could just run up to the retailer, up just you know, the big box store and buy the ready-made combo that has the sight, rest, bow, and, uh, you know, quiver, everything on there and just shoot deer and be happy. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. However, I'll put the disclaimer out there. Uh, I like messing with both stuff. And I also like going to local shops as opposed to big retailers. So mm-hmm. keep that in mind. You know, go, I think I mean it's a guys if you get a chance. It's archery, right? Like we're not we're yeah. not making iPhones here, so we're not like we're not using. I mean, at some point, like it's got to still be a a thing that has string on it and shoots an arrow, right? You know, so yeah, there are limitations yeah. involved. That's the whole point of it, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Tony Grace nine one three. He um, he says basically applying tag applying four tags wears him out, um, and yeah. I, I I don't know I mean there's it's definitely tough man like you got a lot to read I think that I've got a um, a buddy that he uh, he basically you know and this is he's got enough money to do this but you could do this to some extent there's a lot of tag companies out there right now that'll help you apply for tags and I think you tell them what you want and you say put me in and make sure it goes right and you know here's my five ten year plan and i'm going to pay you my money and you you give them enough money for whatever service that they're charging to put you in for x amount of tags you know this guy actually you know pretty much puts in for you know major big game species across the entire west and says put me in the best units i don't want to draw it unless it's a unless it's a top-notch tag and so and it has Mm -hmm. worked for him so uh you know that's uh that's a, that's how he kind of takes and he says, you know, it's you know kind of everything I think is like kind of a you know money versus time thing. It's like you know mm-hmm. what like I'm the reason I'm looking for a lawnmower right now that's expensive is because it's like well you know can I make that money back in time and effort that I would be able to spend elsewhere and with my kids and whatever else. So yeah, that's kind of well, with airline flights earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was telling Eric, I was like, man. I know that there's some cheaper flights that exist, but if you can get somewhere in two hours on $50 more, as opposed to taking seven hours for a little bit cheaper, you know, that time is huge, especially if you're 
doing what we're going to do or we go out and film map scout challenge stuff or mm-hmm. whatever you know it's a whole nother day's worth of work or a whole nother video or whatever but like you were saying same thing if you get home earlier to your kids because you're willing to spend a little extra money yeah it makes sense yeah, yeah. for sure but, uh same thing with the tag deal like um i think that you're a little more well-versed on it than i am and uh, but i kind of take a minimal minimalist type approach to things i've kind of found the states that i Mm-hmm. see that it's decently achievable and states that you can get some points together for not a lot of money and i just kind of concentrate on them and i think i am going to expand that a little bit going forward but i think that uh one of the this is kind of a roundabout way to get to this but i think that fitness is pretty important when you start talking about that kind of stuff because if you're going to play the application process you need to make sure you're in it for the long game and so uh it would be good to add a state or two every couple of years to something that, that you're learning. You know, it's, it's tough to jump in and say, I'm going to apply for 12 new states this year, Yeah. you know, but if you're going to spread it out like that, you need to make sure that whenever you're 45 or 50 or 60 or whatever, you know, you, that you are able to go on these hunts that you're trying to accrue points for now. Yeah. Um, yep. So I don't know if that made sense cause I made a couple points in there, but you, <laughs> hopefully you got the gist of what I was saying. Like, don't bite off too much and then make sure that you can uh, sustain yourself long enough to be able to use your points. Mm-hmm. Yep. Makes yeah. sense. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of old Gentry, he had a question for us. Uh, oh. This is a very good question. I think it's something yeah. that I, you know, I hadn't listened to any podcasts hardly at all that aren't uh, pretty much the unashamed podcast or something like that, you know, lately. But when I have time, that's kind of what I'm listening to. But anyway, in the past, you know, four or five years ago, listening to some podcasts about deer hunting and the moon, it is very confusing when these guys that seem to know everything about moon and deer movement and how they interact and correspond, when they get to talking about where the moon should be, it does make mm-hmm. make me, or I guess apparently not just me, but it it gives some, we need some clarity here. And so mm-hmm. Gentry's saying, what do they mean by the moon above and the moon below foot is this directly above and below or what do they mean yeah so i learned this stuff back whenever i was big time into shark on the beach because that kind of stuff mattered for that as well with tides and stuff because you have a um a double tide you know every day pretty much Mm -hmm. and uh you'd get a high tide whenever the moon's directly below feet and whenever it's directly above your head yada yada but what that means is exactly what you're saying. Like, imagine where you are. You are the arms of a clock, and high noon is above your head, and 6 p.m. is at your feet. So when the moon is directly below or directly above. Now, can I correlate that to killing deer? Not so much, but that is what that means. I, 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 I don't have the moon figured out for deer too much. I do know that, um, like, some of the stuff we do in the rut, in a late rut, uh, it does seem that when you got a moon at night, you see a little bit less movement in the morning because they were up all night messing around, mm-hmm. you know, or, or uh, they could, they did more messing around possibly. Right. I mean, what do what do you think? Yeah, no, that's that's a good point, and I think you know our our boy H T H talks about the moon, thinks about it quite a bit, and actually because of that, I think is when he shot his Texas public land buck last year. Um, mm-hmm. Well, okay, so. You you like to crack on them. I like to crack on them a little bit too. Um, we we have thought that maybe it's because he didn't want to get out of bed early 
Um, yeah, he also is guilty of that sometimes. <laughs> so, but he anyway. <laughs> essentially, what you're saying is that like the same concept that he had, he thinks is like if the deer aren't moving in the morning, then they're moving at midday probably. So I think he ended up shooting that deer at like 11 a.m. And so yeah, which is um, nuts. That's a good buck, man. <laughs> yeah, I know, six and a half year old deer. You know, I mean, just that's a cool thing. And so I think that's something to keep in mind is like. If you get that kind of situation going on, it might be a good time to sleep in, get you a little few extra hours of rest, especially if you're on a trip that you need to uh, kind of refocus and stuff, you know, day three or four. Then mm-hmm. you might do that, get out there about 11, take you lunch to the stand and sit through the rest of the day or whatever you want to do there. But that's kind of the, the idea. Um, yeah. I don't have a whole lot well, more to add to the, to the moon, though. Well, okay, um, but let's think a little bit more about some scouting stuff. Okay. Uh, map scouting is a big thing that we do, right? And, and we uh, are going to, you know, film the Map Scout Challenge stuff again this year. And we've been getting a few questions about, you know, how do you map scout for this state or that state or whatever. Um, do you have any, like, overarching concepts when it comes to map scouting and just thoughts about, like, you know, just things you look for? on a map that says this is a whitetail place um it kind of you know it kind of depends on the country that we're hunting i guess mm-hmm. um regionally in the u.s um i think we've talked about this a hundred million times and probably we'll keep talking about it but a creek system is a great place or a river system is a great place mm-hmm. to kill deer and so i think you know for me um, one reason is because, uh, it's a place that can't be farmed a lot of times. So there's cover there for deer. Um, mm-hmm. if you can farm corn on it, some point in October, the co- the cover disappears. So it's not that deer don't inhabit that stuff, but at some point they're going to have to get out of it. And so I think, yeah. you know, just being able to find cover is, is something that comes with the Creek system, but also, uh, water, which is essential to all life, you know, I mean, as essential as anything else. And, um, so that comes with a Creek and river system. Um, another thing, you know, that's something I, I try to look for. Um, I like hunting bed to food a lot, um, mm-hmm. because it gives you a, a route of travel. And mm-hmm. so I like to, I like to hunt places that have crops, um, in the area. Also, um, if it's a really crop heavy state like Illinois or, you know, Ohio, Missouri, something like that, maybe. Um, it may not be as easy to figure out the exact bed-to-food pattern, but, it, like, there are big deer there because there's so many crops, well, right? If you're in a high-deer-density area, you can almost just assume that there will be a deer somewhere moving from the place it's sleeping to this food that's in front of me, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it might not be the only bed-to-food pattern around, but it's one of them, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's a big point. One of the you? things that I really like... Um, and Onyx is really great about this with the detailed maps that they have, but I've been doing this a ton for South Dakota, um, is I'll get on Onyx and of course got the public land layer on, and then I will zoom in and just look at kind of the, um, terrain's not really the right word, but habitat, I suppose would be the right word, mm-hmm. like the, um, the macro habitat or the biome that we're in. So say you're in a grassland environment and I'll get on Onyx and I will look for the habitat features that stand out. Yeah. yeah. So not so much terrain, but like if you're in a grassland and over here is a wet spot 
you know that the grass is going to be taller in mm-hmm. that wet spot. Or over here is what looks like a line of willow trees, and there's no other trees around. Or over here, you know, let's take us to a different environment. Say you're, you know, out east or something, and you're in pine thickets. Well, over here, suddenly you can see that, man, there's some trees there that don't have leaves on them. I wonder if those are oaks. You know, those things that stick out as being different, you know, or even landmarks. We talk about that yep. a lot, you know, with landmark trees. It might not be a place where you kill a deer, but it's a place you can figure out some stuff about deer. You know, there's yep. going to be scrapes and stuff there. So Put a camera I think there. That that's one of the things. Yeah, exactly. That's one of the things that I, I really like to do when I'm, you know, map scouting on X is, is to go find these little habitat pockets. And the rarer they are, the better they are. Mm-hmm. You know, because sooner or later, they stop being habitat pockets and it just becomes the habitat, right? Right. But I really like this stuff that I've been looking at lately where it's, you know, quite a bit of grasslands. And then once in every 800 acres, there's, you know, just a little island of trees that's kind of in a low spot. I'm like, man, I know that mornings in October are the cliche not thing to do, but you know. Oh, yeah. You know there's going to be a deer rolling in there about 9 Mm a.m. to go bed up underneath some of that stuff, you know. And if you can find the mixture of that stuff, I think think that's a big thing to look for whenever you're, you know, doing a map scouting session in the way we're discussing where it's a place you've never been to. Mm -hmm. I think it's a completely different idea to do like what we would do where there's like – you know, national forest nearby that we've been to a few times. And then we're like, okay, let's rethink this and think about, you know, a place that might be overlooked or whatever. And that's, that's a different animal. Right? Yeah. But a lot of times this time of year, especially guys are looking at new states and things to do and go and do and explore. And I think that that's kind of a big takeaway for me. Yeah. That's and a, also, it's great, dude. I love that a lot. Cause I, I do the same thing. It's just, I don't focus sometimes on what I'm doing. As much as yeah. like, I'm like, oh, I've been here. It's like, you know, you just do it automatically. So mm-hmm. maybe I need to think about what I, how I do things a little bit more sometimes. <laughs> well, uh, it's been really cool because you've kind of introduced to me this new system of white hot on dropping pins. Because um, I look today, I have 2,180 pins on Onyx. Oh, my goodness. The- the past yeah the past five years <laughs> since i've been using it so um it, things are getting a little cluttered and I, I wish i had started this earlier but i needed to be able to organize things a little bit better and last year map scouting for south dakota i just went in and just just um splattered everything with red x's and then we got up there and i was like well i don't know if that means that i think it's a good place or mm-hmm. i think it's a place of interest or i think that there's food there or what but um you know, being able to mark something white hot, meaning I'm excited about this place and I haven't been there yet, mm-hmm. it, it makes it a big difference. And then you you can, of course, use, you know, food or whatever or uh, point of interest or camp or whatever you want yep. to there. You know, yeah, but that's sure. kind of what I've been doing in this situation is I just go through and just, oh, there's a spot of habitat, you know, and just pop that little thing, make it white and roll. Mm-hmm. And then you can go back and look at it, you know, from a, um, you know, 30,000 foot view or whatever it is. And you can tell, you know, what, how things orient compared to access and crops yeah. and all that. Get yeah. a bigger picture. Man, one yeah. thing I, I really like to, the one reason I really like to, there's several reasons, but one reason I really like to use the desktop version of Onyx is that 
um, I yeah. like we we've come, we've got a lot of different thoughts about this right now. But one one reason is when you put a dot on a map that you've never been to, you can quickly, as opposed to being on your phone, you can quickly type in some notes about it. You know, if you mm-hmm. if you learned typing in high school or whatever, right? So, like, I mean, <laughs> if you're uh, if you're not a two finger typer, you can fig- you can quickly put a, a note in there. So that's what helps me a lot. Is like mm-hmm. we have a slightly different uh, outlook to a lot of things um, when it comes to hunting or whatever. It's not like you know drastic or nothing. We we line up on a lot of things too. But like, yeah, you know, it, it's a little yeah. bit uh, you know different. And so like, I'm a little more thorough when I drop pins, and you're kind of like, I'm just going to splatter this map. And that way, when I find out for sure where I'm going, I've got 30 options, you know, that, and it's, mm-hmm. it's not, and, and it, I don't think that it's any, um, worse than the way I do it. It just, I function better the way I do it. But the good thing is we hunt together a lot. So like you're talking about just, you know, ex, not just doubling up your opportunity, but exponentially like increasing your, your success, I think, you know, by doing it two different ways. Yeah. Right. But I, oh, yeah. I like putting those notes. And so that's something I can do very easy on the desktop, you know? So, yeah, absolutely. Man. Um, yeah. T Johnson, sure. 2007, speaking of all this map app stuff, um, he wants to know a little more about reading terrain features on the map apps. So I think we kind of, um, have talked about how to kind of high level, but let's, let's talk about, you know, when you do that high level scouting, you're looking at what sticks out. All of a sudden, if you got the the hybrid on, you look at this terrain thing that sticks out to you. Well, how do you? Why is it sticking out? And what are you thinking when you see these different features that do stick out on the terrain? Yeah, I think the two things that I'll notice or see uh, are saddles, and then like uh, the ends of ridges or fingers. And, and I guess what goes along with that is creeks, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, whatever that is. But when you're talking about terrain, uh, like where we live, um, a lot of times there'll be a terrain feature that you can't even pick up on on a map because it's just so small because the variance in terrain is just not very much, right? But, you know, you go to a lot of places where deer live, saddles are going to be a big deal because it's a path of least resistance and that's what a deer is looking for, right? And the same thing goes with, um, the end of a finger or ridge instead of climbing the ridge to go from point A to point B a deer will take a longer path to go around the horn of a ridge right yeah that's yep. just that's kind of I guess what I pick out yeah um, I mean that's what about you yeah it's similar you know like a lot of times I'll see what'll catch my eyes just something like where the lines get real close together and they're steep or something and so mm-hmm. I know that like a lot of times if that comes down if that's the tip of a ridge coming down to a creek that could be a pretty good pinch right there, just depending mm-hmm. on route of travel and where the crops are and everything. So, I mean, yeah. that's, that's... I don't a, really remember the uh, Hidden Valley Ranch dressing thing or whatever that <laughs> Anthony taught, taught us about, but yep. I think <clears throat> depressions are one of the things. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the things I've learned about scouting some of this more grassland-type habitat is um, if you turn on the topo layer, you can see... Like they'll, instead of only paying attention to the topographical lines, you they'll actually throw like, of course, you know, you can see the blue where there's lakes and stuff, but usually there'll be like a marsh type looking stuff on there or something, mm-hmm. you know, which I'm going to go ahead and say that's kind of a hybrid between a habitat and, you know, topographical feature or yeah. terrain feature, you know, because it, it, it really is 
something that you have to navigate around. So it's kind of terrain. Yeah. You know, and you might not be able to see that from a map because it just kind of all looks like grass. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, another thing just to kind of um, give you guys some more excitement, maybe. Um, that are listening to this stuff is that we have a um, series that's going to start releasing, I think, later this month. Um, it'll be at least 10 parts, and I think it may end up being a little bit more, but um, a 10 part series, we'll say now, with Onyx, put on by Onyx, um, that is a podcast series. They're mostly 18 minutes to mm, maybe a couple that are closer to 30, and it's all. Uh, it's called public pens. We've talked about it before, I think last week maybe, but it's a, uh, it's everything like about this stuff. It's like, what are, where are good spots that we found and how do we, how do we find them? How do we hunt them? And how do we mark them? And so pretty, uh, pretty excited to release that. I hope that's really helpful to you guys and maybe a little bit more, uh, elaborate on some of this stuff. So, but thanks for the question, T Johnson, 2007. Um, yeah, um, let me ask you this while we're talking about advocate and stuff like that. Um, there was a question in relation to buck bedding. This is like Northeast Texas hunting on Instagram or something like that. I, I, don't, I don't know who that is, but it's a good question. Uh, if you want to relate it back to Texas, how much emphasis are you putting on bedding in Texas? Uh, buck bedding, I guess. Yeah, or... yeah, buck bedding. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I don't, uh, in Texas, I don't hardly put anything on buck bedding unless I've seen a buck, uh, kind of go to bed that, that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that morning, you know, I mean, I, yeah. I don't think about it too much. Um, really because I don't know when we hunt in Texas, it's like kind of just finding bedding gen- generally, you know, like it's like, mm-hmm. this is, this is thick habitat, lots of green briar or, or lots of, you know blue stem or whatever it might be um a lot of times if it's early season you're gonna want some shade involved with that too um be that would be via like oak trees or whatever um but like mainly we think more like okay well here's uh here's a possible food source and then where would the where would these deer be coming from and so that almost always lines up with um you know, at least a half mile from the road in most cases. Um, Mm -hmm. If not further, that would be where we would assume bedding is. And it also happens to be super thick with blackberries and stuff like, you know, blackberry uh, brambles or whatever you want to call them, briars and um, thick stuff like that, that, um, but the thing, the thing is, man, like, is it's just not, there's, there's enough of that stuff in a lot of these places we hunt that, um, it's a guess from day to day. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like even still, like even you're talking about even doe bedding or doe family groups, uh, for doe bedding, like may, they may bed there one day in the next day for the next four days or more, they don't bed there again, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it, they bed, you know, 600 yards away or whatever. It's just, it makes it really tough. I, I'm sorry. I don't have yeah. a great answer for that, but I don't put a lot of well, a stock into that. That's for sure. You kind of killed deer this year though. Yeah. In Texas, uh, yeah. because you saw a buck and assumed kind of the general area, you saw him go back to bed mm-hmm. and made a move to go over there, and it's possibly the deer you ended up killing. It's yeah. a giant. You yeah, know? I mean, it definitely, you know, it's kind of those MRI things that we talk about from, you know, we've gotten from uh, Mark Drury, like, 
most recent information. If that if something happens that shows you, you know, I was talking to a buddy recently on, uh, well, talking to him on Instagram, and then we exchanged numbers, and I got talking to him, and um, he was like, man, he's like the biggest deer I've ever gotten a shot at. I literally, you know, walk into this spot just kind of on a whim, and there's just it was everything was shredded. You could tell fresh sign deer was in there, and he's like, I just literally just set up you know, not very high on a trail and in no time, this giant comes out, you know? And so, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's obviously that takes a little guts, especially if you're not very experienced, um, to do something like that. And it's a chance, but it could reward pretty highly. And I think, oh yeah, you know, that was, that was the case on that, that deer this year, but you know, there's, yeah. uh, I don't know. It's, it's tough in Texas a lot of times and it's tough in other places in the some- South and stuff. There's some patterning you could do, though, in this situation where I don't think that um, it's worth the time or effort to find a specific buck bed Mm -hmm. in Texas. If you do find one, don't ignore it. But uh, I think narrowing it down could be a huge thing. And that could be more trail oriented than anything, you know, and it's a great situation to to implement a a game cam Mm -hmm. where – I can think back to whenever we were trying to find Teenager, which is a buck he chased around on Texas Public for a while. Um, you know, following him back with a trail camera and kind of get to a spot where you know he's at least daylight active, which probably means fairly close to his bedding. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you could set up something like, even, you know, nowadays with cell cameras, you know, Moultrie's coming out with this Delta mm-hmm. that's supposed to be, you know, bad to bone for about $100. And, you know, you could have something like that in there where you don't even have to go in and, you know, possibly throw sin around yeah. and be able to kind of monitor if a deer is going back to bed to a certain spot. And if he's daylight active very much, yeah. be able to, you know, probably at least make an assumption as to where his bedding is mm-hmm. and then go in there with some of that cam- camera data and say, okay, well on West winds, he likes to bed in this spot because the camera told me so. So I'm going to go in there and, yeah. you know extract that sucker well, as and here's, to just jumping around yeah and here's another thing is you know, we talked to jeff sturgis a while back about some of this stuff and he mentioned you know how deer have these kind of these i forget what he calls them but it's like you know these rounds that they make that may take mm-hmm. like four days or a week or whatever and so like a lot of times you'll see a big deer like every four days on a camera and so if you're seeing mm-hmm. that um you know what you what you may do is is you know if you got the cell cam out if he shows up one day, you could hunt the next day in hopes, mm-hmm. and then the next day you might go to work. And then, you know, and the day after or the day after that, then you get back in the woods. And, you know, if you're seeing him every four days or something like that on camera, you try to hunt those few days around when you assume four days is from the last time he showed up or whatever, you know. So mm-hmm. that's where a cell cam could come in pretty handy for sure is seeing, you know, okay, he was there today. That means – in you know three days i need to be there again and i and i need to hunt about three straight days and there's a good chance i get him you know so yeah which is kind of what i did with one-eyed jack you know i mean i knew he's in the area and i just hunted a pretty much the same location five days straight and got it done on that that last day you know and so mm-hmm. that's uh that can that can work i think you know people don't talk about that a lot they like to talk about the first day in but um if the first day in is you know if your wind's pretty foolproof and your access is good and you don't get him on the first day in, then it's probably not because you spooked him. You know, if you if you feel yeah. comfortable about your access and your win. So, um, mm-hmm. another 
uh, speaking of kind of what we're talking about here with the betting areas, Nick, the Guad American um, on Instagram, he's he wants to know a little more about de- determining betting areas on the ground and on Onyx, um, and then also picking trails to set up on. And, and I think, like, I guess to continue on what we're talking about here with the betting is one one thing – this is similar to what Casey was saying, but one thing I guess is a elaborate um, part of this is I would um, say that like a lot of times if you are hunting on a creek system, um, then you have and if you have a food source of some sort that you can determine um, that you're seeing that deer at or whatever, you know, a lot of times on those creek systems, um, right up next to the creek are is a good place for deer to bed because it grows really thick with vines and stuff like that, you know, and in certain spots along that Creek, we've seen that hunting teenager quite a bit. And you'll find that you may not be able to know exactly which little thicket that deer is on, on that Creek. But if you hunt down the Creek, you're, you're hunting him on any of those bedding areas for several hundred yards possibly, especially if it's a cold front and he's going to get up early and move quite a bit before dark, you know. So mm-hmm. maybe something to think about there. Um, what are other ways you have determined buck bedding or, I guess, bedding areas? It doesn't say buck bedding, but bedding areas on the ground or even on, on X. Um, rubs. Mm-hmm. I think rubs tell you quite a bit. If you see a spot that's pretty torn up, with, uh, you know, here and there and everywhere, little rubs, I think that you're probably pretty close to some bedding. It might be doe or buck, kind of depending on this, this specific situation. But uh, that's something we found this winter, I think, in one spot that we're pretty excited about. There was a ton of rubs on little stuff on this one little kind of island and uh, of habitat. And um, I think that that probably tells you something. Um, the direction of the rubs is something I still pay attention to. Mm-hmm. It's not killed me a deer yet, but I really do believe that there's something to it. Um, you know, if the, if the rub is on, if, if you're looking for bedding, at least not, you can't say this on like a tree that's in the middle of a field, right? But if the rub up in a thicket is on say the East side, you can assume that that deer was traveling west whenever he made the rub, mm-hmm. right? So there's something to that route of travel and, and where he's at and, and that sort of thing. So that's that's a thought as well. As far as picking the right trail and associated with bedding, um, that's a hard thing to do where we live, especially. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think my take, and this is something that you did in Iowa that killed you deer, is uh, make sure that you are set up to shoot as many trails as you can, mm-hmm. you know, and, and of course make sure you're set up to shoot the best one, but, um, don't just sell out for it. If there's another decent one close, you know, try to set up where you can shoot both this year uh, <laughs> in December. This is stuff that hasn't come out yet on YouTube, but it will later. Um, I like just got outwitted pretty much or around well, wit really, but just guessed wrong a whole lot on, uh, which trails to set up on and had deer uh, take the opposite ones of, of the two that I could shoot to a couple times, you know, mm-hmm. it was kind of ridiculous, but uh, it's just one of those things you kind of have to almost guess and check sometimes. And that's why I guess you go back to some of the access stuff and making sure that you go in and out um, pretty clean and not just mess it up real bad. Yeah. I mean, that you nailed it. I think, you know, I mean, if there's three trails, try to get a shot to all three of them, you know, somehow mm-hmm. and, and, uh, you know, you're, you leave one on the downwind side and just, you know, you're, you're hoping that you, you can get a shot before it gets to your wind. And mm-hmm. hopefully you set up that way too, you know, don't pick the tree that 
doesn't give you any shots until he gets your wind on that trail, you know, if you can help it. Mm-hmm. So that's uh that's kind of the best way. I don't think uh I don't think there's a there's some tips, but I don't think there's any way to just, you know, say I'm picking the right trail, you know, 100% of the time. Um, oh, yeah. Because that's just – that's difficult in most places, you know. But uh, a lot of yeah. times you can also – go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, even in a situation where, like, say you saw a buck go to bed down this trail the evening before and you're assuming where he's at, you don't have control of what he does for, like, six hours of the day. Yeah. He might – you know, go across a saddle or something and come down the other trail, even though you think you got it in the bag. Yeah. You know, like might get spooked. Deer is unpredictable. Yeah. yeah. Might get spooked exactly. out of bedding. It's a farmer some, might drive a truck other, up, you know? Yeah. Exactly. So. Some clown goes in there stomping around shooting squirrels, you know? Yeah. You know, like all kinds of, there's all kinds of variables. Dang, I'm squirrel so, hunters. Like, uh, staying in the woods is, is one of the important things. You just need to hunt. Yeah. And you, you, can. you can also, you know, you can also find a way to kind of, um, like, it, depending on lots of factors, the weather and time of year and stuff like that, you know, you can take um, and look at a map and see trails sometimes. And if you see three trails, they're going to join at some point probably if they're running parallel. So you mm-hmm. can find you can find funnels that do that, and you can also find um, the closer you get to that to the actual food source destination food. A lot of times, those trails will start yeah. to really come together. Yeah, so. I think we actually talk about that in one of those uh, uh, public pins podcasts that mm-hmm. you were uh, mentioning about earlier. Mm-hmm. That would be pretty cool. So whenever you find that spot, Tyler, uh, I'm guessing you're probably going to be in a tree saddle. Mm. Which tree saddle are you going to sit in? I will be, this year, I'll be in a cruiser saddle. Um, I think uh, we did a video recently where we did a, a, a comparison between uh, – the cruiser and two other saddles um and i mean i've talked about it uh before several times but this the ownership with chad really like that guy um really think about things the same way and you know across the board really and um the saddle uh, out of the ones i've had on it's true it truly is the most comfortable saddle so um i'm excited to uh lay up in one of them things and hopefully get a few shots this year which oh. cruiser saddle i'll be in the xc i think um i think that's the one that that uh i'll probably be in for the most part but i'll probably try both of them uh here and there just to make sure i'm getting the best of my options you know what about you uh i'll be in the xc as well i think i think the archon is uh cool but not didn't see a ton of benefit and didn't think that I needed two piece saddle for anything. Mm-hmm. So, and I know, uh, Chad is a XC guy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in that video, we tried to be as unbiased as possible and just kind of be frank about the things that each saddle offered. Mm-hmm. But since, uh, y'all listen to this podcast, we can be a little bit more, uh, candid with, um, you know, kind of what we thought, uh, the, um, there was a budget option, in there and then there's some real popular option in there and you kind of saw which ones were what and then the uh cruiser which is kind of <laughs> i'm glad that we're working with cruiser honestly because uh they on the up and up man people like I, i'm on some of the facebook groups and people are like you know what i need to try and everybody's like cruiser it's so comfortable i was like well that's good i guess that we aren't wrong whenever we say that right <laughs> yeah so, yeah dude it's, uh, it really has like it was 
it was crazy to me how many comments we even got on the video when we first, you know, put that thing out, and people were like, "Y'all have to try these things," you know. So yeah, exactly. We and listen. That's, that's, I think that's one of the things that we're going to be totally transparent about is that you know we're in a partnership with the, with uh, Chad and them over at Cruiser, but uh, we we kind of had some options there. Yeah. And man, the brands just lined up so good, and our beliefs. You know, Chad's Chad's a Christian guy, and he wants to do things right, wants to do his best for you know, his company and for his employees. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it was just, a, you know, not, not that any of the others don't, but just, it would just lined up so good and just fill in the place. So That's right, we're excited man. about that, man. Yes, I am too, man. I, I cannot uh, wait to, we're actually going to be in South Dakota with him. So I can't wait to get to do that and finally actually formally meet him. You know, it's kind of like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you feel like you actually, uh, you know, you know somebody pretty well sometimes when you talk to them on the phone enough, but still it's always good to meet them and hang out with them and get some of that camaraderie in camp. And uh, I think we're going to hold church a couple times as well while we're up there. So Maybe the whole time too. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man, for sure. Yeah. So um, let's talk about this. This kind of goes hand in hand with what we've been talking about a little bit. We're talking about identifying betting and stuff like that on public. Um, there's a lot of people that listen – this podcast that hunt texas public land uh because um because we do and we kind of can all just share in this community and help each other out and so i don't know a whole lot of other people that are hunting texas public land much that uh do this so we appreciate you guys support and the questions mo in austin says how do you find buck sign on texas public land uh you know, I saw this come up in one of the Facebook groups the other day. Some guy was kind of having a hard time. And, um, honestly, my answer might be just a little bit too vague, but my answer is to cover a lot of ground yeah. in your summer scouting and maybe your postseason scouting. Postseason is when it's going to be most apparent, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I think that having a hard time finding buck sign, not that you haven't put in some hard work, but maybe you need to just – make sure you're checking out all the different types of habitat around there and just, you know, maybe sit out a day, throw a couple water bottles and some snacks in your, in your bag and just really get after it because, um, there's deer around. And if you, if you do that and still don't find buck sign, you, you might think about moving a few miles, yeah. you know, cause maybe there's, there's not, doesn't have everything that bucks want or need. That's right. That's, that's exactly right, man. Um, I think I think the best time to find buck sign is postseason, or even scouting your way in during the season. But you know, postseason. That's the thing you can do, but at the same time, I think uh, as a guy who hunts public land and tries to be considered to other guys that hunt public land, uh, if you go in there and tear stuff up too much scouting in season, you can kind of mess some other people up, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, both who are in the stand and who else have, and or have just done their homework preseason or postseason. Yeah, so for sure. I'm not saying you can't do it, you know, but just be mindful of it. Yeah, that. you have the right to, uh, but you know, yeah. it's it's kind of one of those things. Like, what does your conscience tell you about that? So, um, but yeah, I think that that postseason time is the way to do it because all the signs fresh, nothing's growing up. But I think you also got to be like throw a 20 gauge on your back and that's fine but don't be looking up in the trees the whole time if you really want to find buck sign you know like focus on what you're focusing on and if an opportunity arises in front of you and a squirrel jumps into a tree do that you know but but then get back on track don't let it ruin like don't let it take your whole day and take your attention 
you know, we almost had that happen in Indiana when we did our map scout challenge there a few weeks back. We, we found a, you found a morel right off the bat and all of a sudden it's like, who cares about this map scout challenge? You know, it's like, That's so right, it was tough. It was tough. But, uh, I, I agree with KC a hundred percent. You got to cover ground. And if you're not seeing it, it's the, the, a buck, a mature buck, especially, or a decently mature buck needs, um, you know, he needs food, water, he needs does to be somewhere, uh, that are accessible at some point during the year. And then he needs, um, he needs to not be bothered really more than anything just about, cause especially in Texas, which I believe is what we're talking about here. You're going to, you're going to have a lot of the factors that you need in most places, but the remoteness or the, you know, the ability to be, uh, you know, left alone is what really matters in most of these situations. So, um, for sure. What about kind of same deal? We're talking about Texas again, uh, but I think this some of these things can be applied uh, all over the place. But patterning deer in Texas big woods where there's no clear bed to food. This is D Miller D three sign. Thank you for the question. Um, we hunt this kind of stuff quite a bit. There's no clear bed to food. Um, what do you do? You, are you able to pattern deer? And if not, how are you hunting them? question is there a pattern if there's no bed to food because a deer has no reason to create a pattern exactly deer are good at surviving so uh they know whether it is conscious or otherwise that being on a pattern makes them more killable whether it's by us or by predators or whatever right so i would think that deer uh probably prefer to not have to travel to one specific destination Mm -hmm. they'd rather just be able to mill around and find some food and I, th- I really think that, you know, deer kind of have this thing where they get a little bit bored and want to walk around some. But for the most part, like a big buck, the reason he's a big buck is he knows to not make mistakes. And if he's like, you know, pretty old, if he can figure out how to live one in one acre and be happy his whole life, he's going to do it. Mm-hmm. So um, in the big wood scenario, I guess to kind of bring it back to the question for me. I think you're hunting seasonal patterns more than you're hunting a daily pattern. Mm-hmm. So you're hunting a situation where you know that, man, it's, 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 you know, early season, it's hot. I'm going to go find a water hole. And I think we have a podcast from way back where we talked to Eric Barber, who was with Midwest Whitetail back then. Now he works for Vortex, um, where we talked to him a lot about this and he kills a deer in Wisconsin, I believe over a water hole that he made in the big woods, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, so you, you know, that deer are going to want water and then you push it, of course, in the rut, you know, what are they going to be doing? They're going to be running around, right? Or, but before that and after that, they're going to be finding whatever acre trees falling or persimmons or whatever it might be. So I think that you're hunting, like I said, that seasonal thought as opposed to like a daily pattern. You yeah. have any other thoughts on that? Yeah. I would say like, um, you say this a lot and it makes so much sense, but like deer do deer things because they're deer, you know, or something (laughs) along the sword of that, you know, like it basically, um, you know, look for, look for an edge somewhere. And when I say an edge, like some group of trees, that's different, you know, like a lot of times, you know, if you're, if you're hunting stuff that we're hunting, um, a lot of times it'll be lots of post oaks. Um, and then there will be, uh, you'll find like some kind of lowland stuff that's got this like, foot and a half grass growing all in it and it's a bunch of ash trees um and maybe some hackberry and cedar elm or something it's a little bit different kind of woods like little 
trees? They, yeah, they, they, they are little ones. <laughs> okay. They're not, they're not big ones usually, but sometimes they are. Um, but yeah, so like finding, you know, where, wherever the edge is there is, is a spot to, to start focusing on and put some cameras out and figure if, if that's a spot that you even need to be, you know, hunting or spending any time in the woods. Um, and then, you know, I would say also like a lot of the places we hunt, they kind of hunt like big woods, but they do have maybe some creeks or draws running through them or whatever. And like you said, they would, mm-hmm. might lead to a food source or something like that. Um, you know, the, or not a food source, sorry, a water source. Um, and if that's the case, you know, like the bottom side of that water might be a good place that, you know, essentially deer will use that dam of that pond or whatever, if it's mm-hmm. made as an old cattle tank or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then also on, you know, the creek side of that thing, um, there will be um, like wherever that creek heads out in that big wood section and starts to really kind of flatten out, there will be a place where you start to see deer going across that creek as opposed, mm-hmm. you know, like where they won't go across it south of there, you know, for the, for 300 yards all the way down to that pond. But then, you know, you, you go from that pond up 300 yards and there's a spot where it flattens out, go, you know, yep. and the deer go across. So look for little things like that. You can find that stuff on the Onyx, you know, app, obviously yep. by turning the just straight topo, you can find the, those creeks, uh, in the blue lines that are going, or just look at the elevation lines. I actually targeted a place like that in, uh, the old sandwich buck hunt uh this year oh yeah yeah it was uh i did an all-day hunt and i didn't see much except uh i did go in it was kind of a late rut scenario here in texas which is a little bit later that's you know that's pushing december mm-hmm. around here um but uh i was sitting this in the saddle midday and uh had set up in a situation where upstream of me the creek banks were steeper downstream of me the creek banks were steeper and it was thicker habitat but i knew that there was like an 80 yard section right there where it was flatter on both sides and lo and behold the rut fest came through at like 1205 Mm. you know just high noon and one of the biggest bucks probably the biggest buck i've seen in person on texas public land ran underneath my stand so fast that i couldn't do anything about it dude and we're talking so fast so fast how close were those deer uh, 15 yards. Oh my goodness, dude. Yeah. Make you cry. I was macking that thing so hard. <laughs> it's Mac city, Texas. Up in there. Yeah. Um, so another Texas question, okay. uh, that came in on the Instagram feed from bear fit. Uh, he's, he wanted to know, uh, if we ever <laughs> use snort weeds in Texas, is this bear B A R E? b-a-i-r oh good because i was hoping this wasn't like naked fit or something you know uh, <laughs> it might be I don't know. um okay um i'm trying to think i mean i've used it for sure i'm trying to think if i've used it effectively ever what about you yeah do you have any um i i lay off of it because i've never had it work but that doesn't mean it doesn't because you kind of talked about the thing I say about deer or deer because they're deer or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. um, whitetails are whitetails and they are a species and every member of that species within its own sex is able to do the same thing as the other one. Right. So I don't know if does can snort wheeze, but every buck that exists can snort wheeze. Mm-hmm. It's a thing they do. And it's probably more, um, uh, I guess not physically limited, but does just don't have that imprinted on them to do that. 
But um, I guess what I'm saying is it doesn't matter if you're in Maine or you're in South Texas, they can do it. And you and I were hunting in public land where I passed a deer I shouldn't have who snortweeds underneath our stand in Texas last year. Yeah. So it's a thing that happens. Now, you're going to have – if you want it to happen or to work effectively, you probably need to um, – make sure that the deer are in the right frame of mind, you know, and mm-hmm. it might be, it's not probably a calendar thing, uh, at least by day. It is by month. I would say to do it in November and December, mm-hmm. that's the time you're going to want to do it if you do use it. But I mean, if the buck is chilling and he's, you know, eating some acorns and he ain't got any aggression on his mind, a snorkel probably ain't going to do much for him. But say you got a buck that's chasing it like 45 yards and maybe he has had to run off a little buck or something. And, and you've seen all this happen from the stand in Texas and you can't get him to come over or you want to make sure that you send a message to him. I think it's a chance to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wouldn't just roll through the woods, throwing them out there thinking that you're going to get a, you know, a good old Iowa response mm-hmm. to the snortweed. Yeah. I think you're right. hundred percent. I mean, I, um, I don't know that I've ever – I think for me, if I'm trying to call a deer on on Texas pub, it's it's a grunt. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, I hunted, a, I hunted a private piece of property in East Texas last year quite a bit that had – it didn't have – like it had several decent bucks on it that, you know, are competing for does or whatever and not – I don't think I saw a deer with a broken tine. I mean, so they're not like challenging each other all that often. Like there's several, Mm -hmm. there was several two and three year old, you know, basket eights that are 11 to 14 or 15 inches wide. And none of them were broken. None of the big ones were broken. None of the little ones were broken really. It was just like, I don't think that they're, I think they, they figure out their pecking order pretty pretty well, and they're just I don't know it's weird man it's just a different kind of subspecies of of whitetail deer that just isn't as oh, bully. Oh, here we go. There you go. Subspecies. I know striped marlin, blue marlin, they're all the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I, I'm I'm with you. It's just a it's. I think that if you wanted to put it in terms of like humans, like deer have culture, right? And mm the culture that of deer down here is just not that it's not competing for does. If anything, especially in East Texas, we're seeing it change a little bit, but for, for so long, the buck to doe ratio was just out of whack in most places so mm-hmm. badly that the, the bucks had more does than they could even mess with, yeah. you know? So they didn't have any reason to compete. Yeah. It was like, Oh, you want Susie? I'll take Jill. You know, like, it's just like, yeah, they, they didn't, have that and we probably still have the same thing kind of going on you know so yeah and especially Um, on public land where um it seems that people are shooting more bucks than they are does you know i think that you find in texas private situations people really take advantage uh probably because they can uh you know use rifle but we have you know dates where you can shoot does mm-hmm. and people are doing that so there's a little bit better more balance but yeah i mean <laughs> we, we can account for it um I bet you I've seen two to one bucks versus does on public land in Texas. It's mm-hmm. just does are kind of, I don't know. Yeah. Don't so know. It's, it's, let's broaden this thing out a little bit. Um, yeah. For people who may not be hunting Texas, how do you find bedding on very large pieces of pub? I mean, I have a, I have a pretty simple thought about this. You know, I mean, I think 
for me, that if I can find a very large piece of public, I'm excited about it because all, <laughs> you know, like you got so many options, just, you know, I know it's overwhelming sometimes, but just focus on like KC said, which is great. And I mean, I do it. I just hadn't thought about it, but like just zoom out and what draws your attention first and then zoom in and focus on that small piece, you know, that mm-hmm. hundred acres or whatever it is and figure out where a deer might be betting and why that stuck out to you. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know as far as betting goes, you know, like you can, you can learn to identify the thick stuff based off of your on the ground scouting a lot of times, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. And going in and hog hunting or squirrel hunting helps tell you that too, cause mm-hmm. you're going to end up walking through something. You're like, Oh, okay. This makes sense. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't think you can figure out day to day very good because no. I mean, you take that stand. I shot that spike in, I guess that was 2019, wasn't it? Or 2018? Yeah. No, it was 2019. January 1. Huh? January 1, 2019. Yep. Yeah, January 1, 2019, I shot a spike that bedded in front of the stand. And that's the stand I'd hunted probably 30 times before that. Mm-hmm. And I'd never seen a deer bed there. Right. So, like, it's sporadic to say the least. Uh, so I think daily you're going to have a difficult time, but finding habitat that you believe is thick enough for bedding is definitely something you can do. Mm-hmm. Now, was the question specific to map scouting? Um, or was it- I don't think so. Um, what I've got written here is how do you find bedding on very large pieces of public, mm-hmm. public land? You I know? think that, uh, if you're new to a spot or you want to rethink it, I think you could get on on X and, uh, kind of go with the Newberg model for elk, but do it for whitetail and just find uh, your parking places or access points and draw, you know, a radius or mm-hmm. use that line tool or whatever and just say, okay, well, here's a half mile from that thing. So I'm just going to write those off and I'm not going to spend much time there. Mm-hmm. Not saying there aren't deer to be killed there and, and, and so forth, but if you're trying to narrow it down some, that might help you to just start out and just put yourself in better odds of finding betting. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that's good. I mean, I think, um, I think another thing real quick, um, if you go out and stomp around in the middle of the day, if you are able to, you know, work into the wind and if you're able to jump deer, they mm-hmm. probably jumped out of a bed, you know what I mean? Yeah. So kind of a thought there. But Yeah. Oh, you know, Eric Gentry brought up a good point with that that I'd never thought of, and I, I, I don't know if he heard it or thought of it, but he said, uh, you know, if you jump a, a buck from his bed and he doesn't die, he thinks that's a success. Mm-hmm. You know, that bed worked for him. And I was like, I never thought about it that way. I always felt bad about bumping deer, you know, because they're like, oh, no, getting intruded on. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine you can't do it every day. Right. But, you know, if he is comfortable in his bed and you bump him once, uh, he probably is like, yeah, hey, it worked. You mm-hmm. know, I didn't get eaten. Yeah. So, Yep. Yeah. Um, kind of cool. What do you think about uh, we've we've done a video on this, but your go-to pack for saddle hunting that you're able to carry sticks and camera gear and stand and whatever else, you know? Yeah, I, I think that a lot of them will work, you know. But man, I, I do like that Sitka uh, tool belt, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. I've been uh, talking to uh, uh, Chris. I'm blanking Chris. Yeah, I've been talking to Chris thank you uh <laughs> about that some and kind of talking about the design and, and beefing it up in a couple places or whatever i don't think you're going to get the uh element edition from sick or anything but <laughs> <laughs> we have been talking about it some and i think that uh for most hunts that thing is just pretty hard to beat man yep. because 
the idea of having a saddle is being lightweight and mobile. And if you got a big old bulky pack and you got a whole bunch of stuff weighing you down, well, you might as well have a 12-pound stand strap to it too because it's not that much different, right? But having that thing on you, you're just not committed so much that you feel like you have to go get in the tree still. Like you can make a stalk with that thing on. Or, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's just so low profile. Um, I have narrow hips, and it still doesn't hang out past my hips. So yep. I'm not catching on anything. You know, it's just uh, – and it's comfortable. Mm-hmm. So it's just hard to beat, really. Yeah. It is, man. I like it too. That's the one I used pretty much all year until it got snowy on me in Kansas in December, and uh, I, I I upgraded to a little bit heavier duty pack because I was carrying more clothes. Um, Grab your snow Cephas pack. That's what I did. So, but I, I'm with you. <laughs> uh, I think pretty much anything, you know. So that, on the on the gear vein with that, um, you know, kind of heading a different direction a little bit. But um, what's a heavy arrow, Tyler? Um, it's an arrow that's heavy. Yeah, and, is is there is there a definition to it, or is there a way to explain it? Um, yeah, I think you. I think you, that's a. I think that that is a uh, obviously a objective thing to look at. Um, but I think that uh, a lot of people would agree at some point it come it becomes heavy for most people. Now you've got like you got your public land snobs, you got your heavy arrow snobs that oh yeah, you know, if you're not shooting six hundred grains, it ain't heavy <laughs> or whatever. But um, I think you would have a lot more to say about this than I would probably. Yeah, but um, you you have made the transition to heavier more recently than I have. Yeah. Um, do do you are you a heavy arrow believer? Um. Yes, I am. Um, but I don't think. I actually think that I want to uh, decrease my weight this year from what I've been at, and I haven't been, like, super heavy or anything, but um, I just want to shoot a little bit flatter uh, trajectory because I'm hanging out of a saddle in a tiny tree trying to get ranges on deer, you know, and if I'm seven yards off at distance, then that can make a difference. So, um, And it did last year, I felt like, to an extent uh, for me in a particular situation or two, but... Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I want to get to shoot a little bit flatter arrow, but I do want still to be heavier than what I used to be. Um, yeah. just to, just cause I like the, uh, I like the penetration and, and some of the options or the, some of the things that that gives me, I guess. Yeah. And with tuning stuff too, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that in a second, but, um, I, I, I kind of want to approach this from a different direction. I think it's pretty hard to put a number on heavy arrow because it's going to probably, it's so subjective depending on what your draw weight and draw length and all that stuff is too, right? Mm-hmm. So I think really what a heavy arrow is is that arrow that you've stopped worrying about speed and you start worrying about things that actually matter more. Mm-hmm. And that's when you end up with a heavy arrow. Um, so like, for instance, um, let's take my mom. My mom hunts some and uh, she is not a very tall person or a long draw length and just can't draw a lot of weight. So for her, something in the mid 400s is going to be pretty heavy, and she's still going to be, you know, kind of lobbing them out there. And she doesn't need to shoot 650, you know, mm-hmm. because they're just not going to go any further than 10 yards with what she shoots, <laughs> yeah. you know. So that doesn't make sense. But what she does need to worry about is, you know, penetration and, and uh, tuning and that sort of thing, you know. And I think that that's going to make a big difference. You know, for me, I'm going to be in the low to mid 500s is where I like to be. Um, that's, you know, and that ends up uh, 
tacking out around 255 or something to 260 depending on what bow it is and that's that's another big talk but in general uh what i really like about a heavy arrow is how well it tunes your bow and how quiet it makes your bow i don't were you there that time we were at the bow shop and i was shooting these arrows and guys were like man your bow's quiet what bow is that i was like well it doesn't matter what bow it is were you there no i was not i think that might have been when you chunked your no that wasn't it (laughs) yeah i think you were in there talking to brian or something oh maybe Uh, yeah but uh the guys are like man it's so quiet and what bow is that it's like well it doesn't matter what bow it is it's because it's it's because it's slower that's Mm -hmm. why it's quiet because i'm shooting a heavy arrow and that heavy arrow just means that the bow is not exploding in my hand, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yep. But, you know, to kind of go back to what you were wanting to do, uh, Vector is who we're going to shoot this year. We're going to shoot Vector Custom Shop. And Isaac has been talking to us a ton about some of these uh, options that we have. They have a arrow weight calculator and all kinds of stuff that they, they are putting on their website that will really help you if you're kind of interested in the heavy arrows but you don't really know what to do or where to go and foc is an acronym you're not familiar with and all this stuff right but he actually has a couple options and it's not just like well here's the arrow for you like say for tyler you're wanting to maybe not shoot something quite as heavy but still have the benefits of a heavier arrow setup well you can take and do some some tricks to different spine weights and different gpis and stuff like that to come out with an arrow that's you know maybe 40 or 50 grains heavier than mine but still getting a lot of the benefits of it mm-hmm. right and and that's what's cool it's not just like a well here it is here's what you, your option with your bow it's a much more customized approach to um you know well what are your needs what are your wants you know are you trying to shoot water buffalo or are you trying to shoot whitetails you know and, and mm-hmm. i think that there's definitely a world where those are different situations. Absolutely. Right? Um, yeah. And yep. so again, in full disclosure, we're working with Vector, like they're partners with us. They're helping us do things this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're helping you as well. If you want to try out some vectors, they have a test package, which is real sweet. They send you, he'll send you two that are a little bit different from each other. You know, maybe one's a little heavier, one's a little lighter. And you can see which one tunes the best out of your bow, mm-hmm. you know, three fletch, four fletch, whatever you select. Uh, but overall, if you uh, put in code element, uh, all caps, uh, you'll get 10% off your order. So go check that out. Support Isaac. He's another good dude mm-hmm. and uh, really a uh, technician when it comes to this stuff. He, he has a big history in uh, competitive archery, has been hunting for, uh, what, seven years now, I think, or something like that. Yeah. Um, but is really taking a deep dive into this stuff because he just kind of likes to nerd out about it. And I do too. So it's a, it's a, it's a good pairing really. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Uh, those, uh, those hammers are flying well out of the bow, man. I, I'm excited about them. Sweet. And I'm ready to, uh, <clears throat> ready to actually hammer something with one. Oh uh, yeah. Me too, not, man. I can't wait. Far off, dude. I know. I can't wait. Um, you know, I got a couple more minutes here before I got to go watch the Lady Cats win the state championship. But um, we got a couple of questions right here. The last one with the the saddle um, for the for uh, or the pack for the saddle hunting was Ryan Collinger. Collinger, sorry if I mispronounced that. But uh, um, let's see. Uh, Tricky Tross wants to know if you've ever grown any black crimmed maters. I have got a couple black crims this year. Me too. 
I, uh, Thanks to you. I'm interested to see how they compare to the old Cherokee purple. I feel like they're going to be pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. I like yeah. Cherokees for sure, so I'm excited yeah. about them. Um, I'm in the same boat. Um, Austin Saugett says he wants to know about finding the right big buck holding habitats. I think we've talked about a lot of that on this episode. Um, yeah. You know, it, that could – I know that's not necessarily bedding, um, but, you know – maybe transitioning into the food and a staging area and stuff, you know, I think deer's got a, a deer likes to be able to see cause it's got a good eyesight, but, um, it also needs some cover to be able to slip into really quick. Um, any other thoughts that you have about that? Uh, not, not really just yeah. proximity to resources. Yeah. Probably would be yep. Big thing for yeah. sure. Okay. So, uh, two more here that I've got. Um, okay. You know, I said, what, what, is, uh, what are confusing things about deer for you? And Jay Sawyer says, Insta hunters doing it for likes and also people not researching the conservation orgs. Uh, he named, named a few of them. I don't know how many of them you want to name, but uh, I... Uh, <laughs> hey, <I'm>, go ahead. <laughs> I, I will go ahead and tell y'all, stop giving your money to BHA. Yeah. I'll, just, I'll just say it yeah. right now. I, you know, it's not good. Yeah, uh, do your research on it. Don't take my word for it. But yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, that's a uh, that's a tough thing to do. But you want to you want to research. Um, you know, every once in a while, we've talked about this before. But I think you you got to research, and when you feel comfortable about it, comfortable about it, you know, you know, you're probably good for a couple of years, and then you may research that organization organization again before you yeah. re-up you know whatever yeah there's this thing where like uh people see something become popular so they want to gain power so they move their selves up the chain of power until they start making decisions and suddenly an organization becomes something it wasn't yeah yeah and that's a bad thing for sure um insta hunters yeah. doing it for likes yeah i know there's those are out there and we get kind of tired of them too there is a a um also a dynamic that you know some people are actually um, you know, they make a, they make a living off of this stuff. And if they're honest and have integrity, then they kind of, you know, it doesn't bother me too much, uh, if they are kind of hoping for their posts to do well, you know, cause I know we, yeah. we hope that our posts do well, but, yeah. um, <clears throat> we're not doing it for the likes cause we don't get a ton of them. So you <laughs> that's know. right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, uh, that, you know, I, I do like people that do it, uh, with integrity and stuff, but if they, if they're kind of, I mean, we know, I know who you're talking about, um, not necessarily in particular, but the type and, yeah. and, and, uh, yeah, it's frustrating. It definitely is. Cause, uh, hunting means a lot to us and, and, um, and what it's a part of what we do and what we love. And so it, it's hard to see that kind of get uh, contaminated by booty pics and stuff like that, I guess. So, you know, yeah. um, I understand it, but, uh, we've got, do you have any more questions or how are you feeling? I think that is what I have seen okay. come in. If y'all have more questions. Oh, I've um, got one more good one though. Uh, so, uh, some Instagram page called Season Hunting wants to know why TPWD <laughs> refuses to follow the science. Do you know anything about that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know anything about that Instagram page, but um, I do okay. know that, um, you know, there definitely has been some some issues where uh, the public comment has uh, yeah. been disregarded, I think. So, mm. um, I, I'm not trying to dog on them, but uh, there's a little disconnect between uh, the people on the ground, the biologists, and probably Austin in politics, right? So Yeah, well, light them out while you're down there. I'm okay. going. I'm actually heading oh. down there right after the game. 
good. Just stand on the steps till I talk to you. I think if I, I just stand that. there, they'll probably ring news cameras out and stuff. And sure. I mean, that's what it looks like to me is that news cameras follow people that stand on the Capitol steps all the time, you know? So, yeah, you should do that. Um, I think I will. I, I'll just let you answer this because our answer is probably going to be similar. Um, when is the rut for Whitetail? Woo! Uh, that, uh, that definitely depends on um, where you're at. Um, but for the majority of the country, I think you can – it also depends on what your definition is the rut, of the rut. The rut is, uh, in most people's cases, they are thinking of it as the time where you see the most – movement in bucks right uh-huh. the most crazy yeah. movement it's not necessarily coincided with actual peak breeding but it's very close um it's within days a lot of times and so uh i would say in most of the country you're talking about uh november 1 through november 14th or something like that maybe i could say the first two weeks of november and um, as you move further south it spreads out some yes and then if you're in a Gulf Coast state, you need to check the map because it gets kind of crazy down there. Yes. Yeah. And that yeah. includes Texas. Um, yes, for so, sure. Yeah. That's uh, that's probably – that. I guess that's the best I can give you on the rut stuff. We actually did a, an episode with Lindsey Thomas Jr., of the formerly of the QDMA, now of the NDA. Yeah. Um, yeah. Still on, works or changed the name. <laughs> do what? But he still works on it, he just changed the name. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's, um, but it was on all the rut stuff, crazy rut, and why the rut is what it is and everything. So anyway, you can definitely, um, you can definitely check that, that out. Um, the last question we've got here, Casey, this was for you, is uh, old Purvis TX wants to know um, what the consensus is on the Little Debbie oatmeal cereal. Man, I didn't buy them. I think we're going we're gonna to hold off on that for the for one of the hunting trips and, and get the whole element crew in on it uh, yeah but somewhere some way there is a little daddy oatmeal cream pie cereal out there mm. and uh honestly I, I would like to know tyler's opinion on them so that's why i'm, I'm waiting because you are the true connoisseur of cereals dang right <laughs> Yeah. I love cereal so much. It's not. It's cereal proud, bro. It's proud about for sure. So yeah, yeah. It's uh, the best. <laughs> um. So yeah, that's uh that's all the questions that we've got right now. Keep uh keep sending them in if you're listening to this and and you have one, just find a way to comment it or DM it to us. We appreciate you guys being a part of this thing, man. This is this is fun for us. I will really enjoy the Q and A stuff. Um, good yeah. questions, guys. And, um, you know, definitely check out um, some of these hunt breakdowns we're doing. Hopefully, there are videos on YouTube, and hopefully they'll give you a good idea of um, how to be successful. And and maybe they'll answer some of these questions for you, and you'll get to see us uh, kind of view our own selves being idiots sometimes and sometimes (laughs) figuring it out and, you know, all that. Uh, We got some gear reviews that are coming out this summer, and then, I mean, we're... We're getting ready. Uh, it's pretty much about time to start putting out cameras or start getting them ready to put out because they're going to be they're going to be uh, adding points here real quick to the to the racks. So gets mm. me excited. Me too. Uh, <clears throat> it'll be at least a fun time for us to just see bucks and be in the woods and be a part of it because right. what we know is that they're going to disappear about September, right, Hunter? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> anyway, um, guys, thanks so much for being part of this, and remember, this is your element living it.
Are you looking for relentless performance for your firearms? If so, Riptide Armory is the ultimate destination for superior gun cleaning and protection. Riptide Armory offers American-made innovative products out of Arvada, Colorado. Whether it's the delicate finish of a collectible or the rugged exterior of a tactical weapon, you can clean without risk of damage. Visit RiptideArmory.com and discover the difference true quality can make for your firearms. Riptide Armory, a veteran-founded business. I've been telling you guys about Land.com to help you find a place to call your own and do all the hunting and fishing and hanging with the family that you want. While owning your own piece of land is something that can generate memories, I can speak to this personally because my family, we own a couple small, beautiful little backcountry parcels. It can also generate income in both the near and long term, like starting a rental business slash family compound that can benefit both this and future generations. Check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from across America. Enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. 